Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Well, as always, we want to mention a few things that might be of interest to those of you out in the community. First of all, let's talk about uh, there's a closure bridge happening in Tampere, Finland. That is happening May 20th and 21st in 2016, and you can find out more about that, as always, at the Closure Bridge website at closurebridge.org. I also want to talk about Euroclosure. This is our European conference happening this year, 2016, in Bratislava, Slovakia. That'll be happening October 25th and 26th. You can find out more about that conference at euroclosure.org. And I just want to point out that we are currently uh, seeking sponsors for the conference. So if your organization is located in Europe or in the U.S. for that matter, anywhere in the world, uh, check out euroclosure.org and uh, look at the sponsorship opportunities. Uh, another conference of note uh, is, and I always struggle with the pronunciation of this one, and I hope that the organizers are amused by my attempts rather than annoyed, uh, but I'm talking about Clojutre, so C-L-O-J-U-T-R-E. Maybe it's pronounced something like Clojutre, anyway, they know what I'm talking about, Clojutre. 2016. You can find out uh, more about that conference. It's a free conference organized by Matosin. Uh, it's got one track. Um, it's got short talks. With, so it's like a 20-minute talk, five-minute QA, and a kind of a funky after party for, you know, uh, it's got draft beer and fun discussions and everything. This is all description from their website. I have not, unfortunately, been able to attend yet. Maybe someday. Um, but they welcome newbies and season closures, and their website is uh, at... Uh, Clojutre.org, so C-L-O-J-U-T-R-E.org, slash 2016 for this year's conference. Um, Speaking of conferences still, early bird tickets are now available for the Closure Exchange. Uh, That's in London. It's going to be in December. Um, You can search for that online. Uh, It's uh, the website's at skillsmatter.com, but the URL is a little bit long, so I suggest just look for Closure Exchange 2016. You're certain to find out about that. It's a two-day conference, again, held in London. So lots of awesome stuff going on in 2016. Kind of hard to believe we've gotten to the point where, uh, you know, there can be so many really just high quality conferences every year well attended, but um, that's where we are. It's a good thing for the community. Um, That's all I have for you today. So we will go ahead and go on to episode 101 of the Cognicast. Before we get started, uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've done, we've done this before, right? Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cognicast. Today is Friday, March 18th in the year 2016, and I am pleased today to welcome back to the show a developer and a co-worker of mine here at Cognitect, um, author of a, oh, you know, a couple books you might have heard of. Um, I'm talking about Luke Vanderhart. Welcome to the show, Luke. Thanks, Craig. Glad to be here. That's really nice to have you. Uh, we actually have something kind of interesting that we're going to talk about today. But before I um, get into that, uh, and people are like, why are you teasing me? But before I get into that, uh, we will uh, get your answer to the question we start every show with, which is we ask our guest. Uh, that's you, Luke. You're our guest. Yes. Um, uh, sorry, it's late on a Friday. I might be a little bit punchy here. Um, <laughs> but we ask our guest uh to share with us an experience of art, whatever that means to them. So a book you read, a painting that you enjoyed, you got really high and went paragliding one time, and I, I, whatever it is to, means I to wish. you. Yeah, so go for it. Sure. Um, so the thing that most immediately comes to mind, um, is at the top of my mind right now, is actually a book that I was reading last night um, on writing. And, and the book is called Several Short Sentences About Writing by Verlin Klinkenborg. Um, which is quite the name, but uh, it's a really good little book. I recommend it for anyone who is interested in writing. And the reason this relates to um, art or artistic expression for me is because it got me to think about writing in a new way. I've always considered you know, pieces to be works of art, a play, a, a novel, a short story, a poem, 
what have you, as far as writing goes. But he really dives down to the sentence level and talks very carefully about crafting sentences and the way each sentence appears, um, says its piece, and then disappears. Uh, and how you can uh, build a cadence to individual sentences and work with the structure uh, at a very, very low level. It's really a, a more low-level way of thinking about writing than I have before and, and really kind of illuminated me to some of the the beauty that can be found there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing earth-shaking, but it's what I've been thinking about today uh, after reading over that last night. Very cool. So having read that, do you think back on anything you've read or maybe even anything you've written and have you been able to sort of retroactively discover that sort of beauty in the things that you've read or written? Uh, I wish. Um, <laughs> uh, to some extent, yes. Uh, it's very interesting um, to get an appreciation for authors that I already appreciate. Um, you know, I appreciate their works um, and I'm eager to actually go back to some of my favorite authors and go appreciate their sentences. Uh, as for my own writing, um, well, first, I, I really don't like reading my own writing. It's like listening to your own voice. It just sounds odd. Um, but for writing that I'm uh, currently working on, it's definitely something I'm uh, trying to apply. Cool. Oh, well, awesome. That's a really cool, um, really cool thing. I'll have to remember to uh, add that book to my list. Um, so thanks for the recommendation. Uh, so, But we are going to move on from that question, as interesting as your answer was. We actually have another topic we want to cover today. And this is a new thing that you are um, bringing into the world. I don't really know if I could do it justice in introducing it, especially because you've been thinking a lot about um, how to do exactly that. So I, rather than put words into your mouth, I'm just going to let you take the mic and tell us about this thing you've been working on. Right. So this thing uh, is something I'm working on now. Um, it will be publicly announced uh, but by the time this podcast is released, it's it's not at the time Craig and I are talking. Um, but really what this is, is it's an open source project and um, admittedly ambitious. Uh, its goal is to provide a real honest-to-God web framework for closure um, that is usable and um, will provide power and speed of development on a scale equivalent to some of the existing big names in the web development world. Um, think about Rails, think about Django. Obviously, we can't release with feature parity or complexity um, with things that have been around for years. But uh, the goal is to put something into the closure space that actually um, has a meaningful value add um, based on closures, an awesome language, um, and that lets closure developers have that kind of rapid iterative development experience uh, based on known best practices uh, when building web applications in closure. Uh, and, and there's a few reasons for this, uh, which I'd love to talk about. Uh, but really, that's the goal, is to build a, a full-scale, uh, awesome web framework enclosure and to build a community around it, if at all possible. Um, it's, a, it's a big ambition, but I think, there, I think it could become a reality, and uh, I, I have some justification for that belief as well. So this project has a name. Uh, it I, does. Is it final? Like I, I know we've talked about it, but yes. okay, so go ahead and share it with us. It is. Sorry, I, I should have said that straight up. Um, so the project uh, is called Arachne. Um, Arachne is a figure in ancient Greek mythology who was a weaver. Um, she uh, was able to weave more beautifully than anyone else, um, in fact, even more than the gods themselves. And Athena became jealous of her and turned her into a spider, uh, so she was doomed to weave webs uh, for the rest of eternity for her presumption of being better at it than the gods. Um, so it's a it's evocative story. Uh, and clearly with the whole web connection, the whole creating things uh, connection, I think it's a good name for this project. So Arachne, a framework for weaving web applications. Okay, cool. So um, so where to begin? So this is a really interesting idea. I think, uh, you know, Clojure has been applied quite successfully um, to web programming. I think if we, I'd have to, I haven't pulled up the stats, but if you look at the state of Clojure survey, it's pretty clear that people are using um, closure to create web applications of, of various stripes. Um, you know, everything from standard uh, page-oriented websites to uh, more, you know, different architectures like we see the, the single-page application. I think Clojure is particularly good at that. Right. Um, is Arachne aimed at one particular metaphor or is it, what's your objective there? Yeah, not generally. So it's it's um, based on uh, all kinds of web development, so both single-page web development and more traditional content 
serving um, like you'd see in a more traditional content-based website. Single page applications are usually more application feeling than web page feeling. Um, Arachne is designed for both. Really it's going to be useful for any system uh, that needs to serve up HTTP content, that needs to um, handle multiple requests and responses in a session between a user across the network um, and some cluster of servers. It's also going to have you know, easy integration points to run backend services that just need to be running continuously and servicing requests. Uh, it includes things that are not directly you know, web-facing. If you need to build a REST API um, running over HTTP, Arachne will hopefully be a great choice for that as well. Okay, well, that gives me a, a good sense, and we'll dig into a bunch more of this um, shortly here. But I yeah. actually maybe like to rewind a little bit um, because um, I want to get a sense of the of the motivation, like let you yes. explain a bit more why. I mean, because you know, on the face of it, I think people might be a little surprised to hear that we're talking about creating a you know a, a web for or, uh, you know that you and I are discussing your efforts to create a um, a web framework um, enclosure. People are like, well. There's already some of those, and that's kind of a unusual thing to decide to do in this day of day and age. So maybe you can kind of take us through how you got to the point where you decided to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's three very concrete motivations uh, for building this uh, and building it in Clojure particularly. The first one is that currently um, in the Clojure ecosystem at large, uh, particularly in respect to web development, the story for beginners to jump in uh, is actually not that great. Um, so the current uh, reigning paradigm for building web services, building websites, building single-page applications in Clojure, uh, is to assemble a bunch of libraries. There's a lot of great libraries out there that do a lot of really cool things. But it's kind of the programmer's job when they're starting up a new project to figure out which ones they want to use and pull them all into a project and write the glue code that holds them all together. And while this is certainly something that a a Clojure developer can do um, and may even find very useful um, to have this wide menu of available choices, that is a really hard thing to ask a beginner to do. Um, to or in order to do this effectively, you need to know the pros and cons of all the different libraries. You need to know the pitfalls. You need to know the high-level structure of an application and how each piece uh, fits into the larger whole. And each one of those things is something that is really not reasonable to expect a beginner to the language to have. So contrast this with an experience of, uh, say, Ruby on Rails is just another one that I happen to have a lot of familiarity with. The user can create an application and have it up and running before they have any idea what's going on. Um, and then that provides a safe environment for them to grow and expand their skills. They can learn how to program in the context of something that already more or less works, um, as opposed to what Clojure currently asks that you do and front loads all the hard questions <laughs> and the architectural level and the... Um, the more difficult part. So the goal is to invert that for closure as well and to give beginners a, a way to get started quickly and easily and a safe space to learn how to program um, without shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, because to be honest, for most beginners, even if you pull together something that works, it's not going to be something that's going to scale um, and continue to operate once you reach higher levels of complexity and performance requirements. So, um, you know, we want to provide something that will uh, let people build really interesting, cool, useful things and learn on the job while they're doing it. Um, so that's motivation number one is uh, a path for beginners. Thinking about that a little bit, um, I guess, and maybe you'll come to this in your other two motivations, but is, is there anything about what you're, what you're considering doing, what you're planning to do that, so, cause, cause I look at it, I go, okay, well, you talked about, you know, making some choices for beginners and saying, okay, you know, you've got a bunch of things to sort through. Well, one of the things you could do is, you know, write a tutorial. Let's say you should make these choices or a Linegan template where you just spit out using existing stuff. But obviously that's not sufficient in your opinion. So maybe we'll get there via the next couple things you're going to say, but that's the one that comes to my mind when I heard you yeah. talk about getting beginners and helping them make choices. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of good tutorials and getting started guides for really simple things. Um, and you know, there's even some beginner stuff, but again, this you know, it's hard to put yourself in the the shoes of a beginner, and it you know seems to you or me like the 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 response that we default to is well, why can't you just do X or Y? But the fact is that I've actually um, gone through and I've interviewed a bunch of beginners. Um, I've interviewed people that are currently learning Clojure, and web applications are one of the harder things. Um, even you know, say it's, well, just write a tutorial. Well, you go online and you search for tutorial for Clojure and 
um, there's going to be a hundred of them that come up and half of them deal with libraries that are now deprecated. So uh, really getting the, the weight and momentum behind something um, that will be consistently supported and consistently a good idea, I think has a lot of value. Um, and, you know, only the beginners will be able to tell me whether we're successful with that or not um, once we have something out there. But we're definitely going to be working um, and using focus groups and using um, beginners to try to come up with an experience that people love. Um, that is not something people currently say about the closure community, unfortunately, is, um, you know, I loved getting started and it was really, really welcoming and easy to get started with. Um, they say they love the people. They say they love the community. They say they love the language once they get it. Um, I don't hear a lot of people say, I just love the getting started experience with Clojure. And we hope to change that. All right, great. So you said there were two more. Yes, there are. So um, the second reason um, relates not just to beginners, but to everyone. Um, and that is in the time uh, and effort required to bootstrap a new Clojure web project. So, you know, here at Cognisect, I'm a consultant. I jump into a company, um, build a new product. Sometimes it's a web-oriented thing, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's an existing system, sometimes it's not. But almost everything has a web component. And what I've observed is by the time I get in there and uh, start building this, and I add all the things that any website has to have for the most part, you know, login, authentication, metrics, routing, HTTP generation, um, all this common things that... Um, everything needs and I would hope would be solved problems and solutions exist in Clojure, don't get me wrong, but by the time I figure out what I want to do and pull them all together, I'm usually a month into the project. And while that's not so bad if you're working on a two-year-long project, if you're starting a new project every few months, that very quickly begins to wear on you. Um, I, I got tired of building the same code over and over. So I want to build something that lets me build new Clojure web applications and get started instantly. I want to have something up and running in five minutes. It'll be a lot of boilerplate and a lot of, um, not boilerplate, but it'll be a lot of, um, you know, conventions to start out with. Um, but then it'll be easy for me to get in there and start adding my own stuff. But the key there is that I'm going to be working on my own stuff the same day I start a new web application. Right now, if I want to start a new web application in Clojure, I got to spend weeks just setting up the infrastructure. Uh, and the goal is to decrease that time, build all the infrastructure for you so that you can focus on the stuff that matters immediately um, and get prototypes out there quickly and start iterating on your prototypes very quickly. Uh, and that's something that I, I don't see in the Clojure world right now is the ability to talk with a client about a website they need and get the first version delivered tomorrow. That is the experience I want to have here. That makes sense. They both sound like good. They both sound like things I want. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So the third one is, uh, and this one is where uh, I think we can provide a unique value proposition for the software community at large, not just within the closure space. And that is a smooth linear scaling from a small, simple, fast app to a big, complex enterprise application. So if you look at existing rapid development solutions um, across the industry, there's a lot of good ones, but the general idea is that there's always an inflection point where the framework that used to be really helpful and gave you a lot of benefit um, and gave you a lot of speed in the early days of your project um, used to be your friend starts becoming your enemy. It starts hampering what kind of things you can do. It starts limiting um, the complexity of the code you can write. Uh, it starts limiting the scale and performance that you can operate at. So we already know that closure is a great solution for the high end of scale and complexity. We have uh, people running really large, really complex systems. Clojure is an amazing platform to tackle that on. Uh, and there's nothing about Clojure the language that says it can also be a good solution for the easy, rapid, iterative space, um, I guess at the, the lower end of the size and complexity spectrum. And so the question is, can we build something that will allow you to smoothly scale from fast, small, and simple to large, uh, high availability, high grade, uh, industrial strength applications without any discontinuities along the way. Uh, this is an open question. Um, I firmly believe it's possible that we can do this, and I think Clojure is the right platform to build such a tool on. So that's the third goal of Arachne, is to provide a solution that uh, is a good, viable platform at every point along the project size curve, if you will. 
Um, so that one seems like the, the, the hard one, right? Like, a, you know, good beginner experience. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can see where you are definitely, I mean, you're Luke, right? That you're going to be able to do pretty much anything you set your mind to, but that seems achievable. Um, you know, uh, getting people off the, uh, and running quickly with um, a set of, you know, uh, like getting all of the infrastructure stuff out of the way. Okay, also seems very achievable. Um, you know, not a trivial problem by any stretch, but very achievable. But then the linear scaling one. So I'm interested there because you said you have some reason to believe that it's possible, and I certainly would like to believe that it's possible. And I and I I have a an intuition that closure, uh, the things that closure provides are going to be helpful in doing that. But I guess I'd love to hear. Um, and I know you said it's an open question, but I'd love to hear what's What's gone through your head that makes you that makes that gives you hope that you're going to find a way through to a solution? If you see what I'm saying, right. Um, so first, let me frame the question a, a tiny bit more. Um, you know, there's a very important essay for software development, uh, the No Silver Bullet essay, um, which is there's no way to make things magically happen. Uh, and I am not selling a silver bullet here. This is, um, if you're writing a big complex system, you're going to still have to have a lot of developers thinking really hard um, and writing a fair amount of code. The goal here is just to have something that will not get in your way, that you can start with all the speed and agility you want, and then will not get in your way as you, um, as you put in this effort to grow and make your system more complex. And, um, and to some extent, um, you already... Uh, answer the question, if you think I can build the fast and easy thing, that'll be awesome. Because we know Clojure can already do the big complex thing. <laughs> um, we've seen it on, on several projects and, you know, big Clojure systems, big enterprise Java systems. Um, there is already existence proofs that Clojure can operate at that end of the spectrum. So the, the question is, can a Clojure system operate at the lower end of the spectrum without adding chains that will uh, hamper you as you get towards the, the high end again? And I think so. Um, Arachne is built, uh, you know, we can get more into the tech, uh, well, now or later. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Whenever you think makes sense. We'll definitely want to talk about it, but it doesn't have to be right now. Um, but most of what Arachne provides is at a project organization and configuration level. At runtime, Arachne restricts you uh, in very few ways. Uh, really, once you write your components, if you're familiar with Stuart Sierra's component library, Arachne is based on a very similar thing, or actually I have plans to incorporate uh, the component library wholesale. Um, once you write your components and they're running, um, and Arachne has wired everything up, it's done your dependency injection, um, you can write whatever you want in those, and you're really not hampered by that. In fact, those are widely considered to be a fundamental tool for building larger, more complicated systems. At that point, there are no restrictions on what you can build. Um, you can write arbitrary closure code that does arbitrary things. Arachne will help you with the low-level things. It'll help you write your routing table. It will help you serve up your HTML. But if you want to serve additional HTML, um, you can write a route that terminates in a raw handler function that does anything you want it to, exactly the same as you would in Clojure today. Um, the only difference being that you have this suite of tools that's available to you and maybe got you bootstrapped. But there is no real situation, um, unlike with you know with Rails, if you want to uh, build a more complex uh, endpoint in your application, sometimes you find yourself fighting the frame framework. Um, whereas Arachne is going to be designed with this goal from the bottom up, which is you can bail at any time you want and just be in your own, um, write your own code for any components of it. Um, and really the only level you're required to participate in the tools that Arachne provides uh, will be at like the application start level, starting your components. Uh, beyond that, um, we're going to try to architect things in such a way that Arachne is purely an additive value. Um, and hopefully, uh, that will let those existence proofs of things that are already big, complex, um, heavyweight closure applications uh, be written with Arachne in the mix as well. Uh, and we're just providing some support um, the small, easy getting started side. Okay, um, makes sense, and I think I think I have a decent understanding of uh, how you've come to the point where you think this thing needs to exist. I guess my next question is uh, that was past. My next question is uh, about the present. 
you know, where, where are you at? Um, what, what's, what's done or what's, what's your current, uh, state of development or, you know what I mean? Kind of where, where are you at at this point? Right. So I've been working on this, um, in one form or another for about the past six months. And this has been on my own time. We have some open source Fridays. I put a few of those into playing around with ideas. And certainly uh, in my personal time, I've been developing this. It's become apparent to me that to build something uh, like this that really has the reach and has the scope that I envision, that actually can become a real community standard, uh, it's going to need more time and investment. And so the hope is that I'm actually going to uh, suspend my full-time work uh, as a consultant and focus on this project full-time uh, coming up this summer. And obviously, I need to fund myself while I do so. So uh, I will actually be launching, uh, probably before this podcast goes live, I will have launched a Kickstarter project, um, a Kickstarter campaign to raise funds so that I can afford to work on this full-time. Uh, in conjunction with other people who will uh, donate their time and energy to this. So, uh, you know, by having uh, at least three, but hopefully as many as six months of full-time work on this, uh, we can build out the basic core system um, and reach a tipping point where uh, it'll the project will be launched and we can continue building it from there. Um, regarding what's already done, I have the very core system done. And I have one or two modules. Um, we can talk about technology. This Arachne is very heavily modularized and um, pluggable. Um, so I've got the core that supports the plugin infrastructure itself. The project configuration infrastructure itself is all done. So the path forward seems very clear. At this point, it's a matter of being able to focus the time into building out the horizontal array of things that a basic web framework needs to do. Um, all the kind of functionalities we need it to have. Um, authentication, dealing with your databases, dealing with HTML rendering, um, dealing with the tools to hook in FigWheel and Ohm and Reagents and all the other great things to build single page applications. Yeah, just need to go horizontal and build out all those features um, because it's you know hard to sell solutions being the easy solution to anything if it doesn't have all the pieces yet. So we need to build those pieces. Okay, so it's interesting. You mentioned that you're doing a Kickstarter, and I think um, you know, if I were a listener of this podcast, I would be saying to myself, "Oh, maybe some people at least would say, well, Luke already works for Cognitect. Um, you know, they're the so they're stewards of of Closure. Um, obviously, have a big um, stake in uh, Closure existing and flourishing in in all these various ways. Although clearly, Closure has gone has grown well beyond um, the days when Luke, when you and I started, when you know, the the number of places where you could do closure, you could count on one hand, and and, and relevance at the time was you know arguably the premier one. Right. Um, but in any event, so like you're you're doing this Kickstarter, right? And I think someone might ask, well, why isn't this y your day job? Right. Um, well, that is the goal for it to eventually become my day job. Um, yeah. So you know, Cognitect has uh, its goals and its priorities. We are already funding a substantial amount of development for Closure Core. Um, we have a product team focusing on our Datomic product, uh, which is awesome. You should check it out if you haven't already. I think it's, uh, I certainly don't want to use any other database at this point. Uh, but really it's a matter of allocation of resources. Uh, you know, as a consultancy, uh, we fund what we do uh, through consulting. And um, I am on the consulting arm of the project. And, uh, you know, it's, very much a consideration of you know where the company wants to put its limited resources behind and uh, Cognitech has been extremely supportive of this project they're very optimistic about it but we can't afford to fund uh, every single effort that every Cognitech is interested in pursuing so this is a way for me to together with Cognitech will uh, certainly has through all the people here that I've had conversations with are providing amazing support for this um, but also you know be able to fund this in a way that is uh, sustainable for everyone involved and doesn't require Cognitech to sacrifice its other product development efforts. So the, in terms of this Kickstarter, like what, how does this, what does it look like? I mean, the Kickstarters always have levels and rewards and everything. Like you're going to go and raise, I don't know, hopefully, you know, quite a substantial amount of money and go off and work on this for whatever that allows you to do. Take me through what you're hoping to achieve with the Kickstarter and where it gets you. Yeah. So the, the base goal of the Kickstarter will provide funding for me to work on this project exclusively for three months of full-time work. Um, 
full-time being, you know, whatever I would normally work in a work week and then whatever I was putting into Arachne um, in, you know, beyond the standard 40 hours a week, if you want to think about it that way as well. Uh, what that should let me do in that three months is really build out the core and have something that is totally usable and totally worth selling to people as this is something you should use. At the end of the three months, um, I want everyone to say when they're starting a new closure application, um, clearly go with Arachne. That's going to be, I, um, I'm going to have something that is feature complete enough and sufficient enough to be the default choice for web application development and closure as of that point. Um, that is the, the goal of the, uh, the base goal of the Kickstarter is three months. I do have a number of stretch goals built on top of that, depending um, how many people are willing to, um, you know, put their money into this effort um, and you know, want to see it succeed. I think it's a, at least I have a very clear vision about it and a lot of other people I've talked to as well. So if we can get enough contributions and enough corporate support, uh, from that point, we'll, uh, there are a number of stretch goals for building out uh, really rich additional features and components, uh, modules, technically speaking, things that you can plug into Rackney directly to do interesting things. So these would be um, single page applications, um, really get uh, top-notch um, dynamic development experience for the React world, uh, which is quite popular in Clojure. Um, that's uh, the first stretch goal. Um, certain uh, deployment things, um, DevOps-style things that let you build containers and um, other systems uh, that you know define whole clusters of machines deployed to Amazon. Um, we have uh, plans for modules like that. Um, there are certain features that enterprises will find very useful that exist on some of the higher tier stretch goals. So distributed metrics, distributed logging, corporate single sign-on. Um, and then beyond that, uh, you know, I, I would be totally thrilled if we got those funding levels complete. But uh, if we were to even get more, uh, it would just spend more time uh, building out uh, horizontally building new features that the community is interested in, um, investing more time in, um, it's going to ship with good documentation, but investing even more time in building up resources uh, for those who are wanting to get started with it and um, really building the community and providing mentorship for people to get started using this in meaningful ways. Um, I should mention that this is not a solely me-driven task. I've um, Several people at Cognizant and elsewhere have graciously agreed to be a sort of steering group or steering committee to set priorities for Arachne. So uh, as we hit our initial goals, we get the core done, we get the HTTP and the asset and the HTML generation, the authentication, the database access. Um, from there, and as people start to use it and we start building up this um, dynamic feedback cycle with the community, I believe we'll be able to get some more insight into where we should go from there. Are you at a stage right now where you can share uh, any of the names on the steering committee? Yes, absolutely. So um, Tim Ewald is one of them. He's a, a core member of our product team here at Cognitect. Russ Olson, uh, who also works for Cognitect right now. Uh, David Nolan, you may have heard of. Uh, he's done a, the author of Ohm.next. Um, I'm also working with uh, Jamie Kite, um, who is... Uh, Currently not doing a lot of closure work, but has amazing insight into user interface and usability concerns. And then also Mike Nygaard, uh, who's an amazing architect uh, working with Cognitect, um, is uh, lending his insights as well. I think there are people out there that would literally murder to work with that team. So uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Mike. well, they're where the success is going to come from. I'm, <laughs> I can develop, but they've provided insight and architectural support all along the way. So... Uh, I think you're being quite modest. They are an amazing group, but you can uh, count yourself as a peer among them. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the technology. Um, and, and specifically, I guess, I, I'm curious about, um, you know, some of the other technologies that Cognitect and Cognitects um, have developed. So obviously there's things like Pedestal um, and Ohm Next. Um, uh, you know, I know that you uh, developed uh, Quiescent. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, like there's a, there's a suite of things that are out there already. I, I don't think you are planning to start from scratch and, and build a thing on t another, yet another thing on top of Jetty or whatever. Yeah, certainly not. So Arachne has a number of core philosophies and one of those is pragmatism. We do not want to reinvent anything. Um, we do not want to create something new and cool. 
with this project. We want it to be a platform for people to build new and cool things on. But we want a stable set of known solutions that are known to work um, and that we can provide to people in an easy way that's fast to get started with. And that means reusing existing libraries. The Arachne module system is very lightweight. It should be very low effort to incorporate any of these existing libraries as an Arachne module. We're not even bothered with that and just use it wholesale um, from your code base. Um, Arachne intends to be fully compatible or be able to be made fully compatible very easily uh, with the vast majority of existing systems out there. I mean, obviously modules are a big part of the story here. Do you have um, a more uh, technical description of what it means to be a module? Is it just a protocol or one of a set of protocols? Is it something like Stuart's component? Is it What exactly does that mean, a module? I'll explain it at a functional level first. So this has been sort of implicit, but a module is kind of the unit of delivery of a feature. Uh, it's a plugin. It's you know, analogous to something like a Ruby gem or a, a node uh, package. Uh, it's something that you can drop into your program and just take off with that functionality. So I want to use Hiccup instead of in live, drop in the Hiccup module for HTML generation, and off I go. At a technical level, um, they are based upon Arachne's configuration system. Now, Arachne has a very, very rich configuration um, story. Uh, an Arachne configuration is not simply a text file or even an Eden file or an XML file. It's a full database with schema of everything that defines an application. This doesn't mean just ports or just uh, external URIs like you'd normally find in any config file. It is anything about the system that can be represented as data, is represented as data within the configuration. So this includes things like routing tables, um, if you're using a relational database, database migrations, all of this um, exists in the Arachne configuration database. And the database has a schema. And what modules do is they can extend that schema and allow you to add new kinds of data into the database. They can also, uh, when you initialize, each module bootstraps in dependency order. And it can look at the application configuration database and say, OK, here's something interesting. I know how to annotate that, uh, that feature. And uh, they can transact additional data to the configuration database that adds in new elements, new um, so take the case of HTTP routing. You could have a module that said, oh, interesting. I'm going to add in these interceptors or these uh, middlewares at every step um, of routing because I am a, a metrics module. So whenever you call, some, you know, I'm going to read my configuration that say add metrics to these routes. And then I'm going to go and actually look at the entities for those routes in the configuration database and transact them. But the beauty of this is it's very transparent to the user. The module authors know how to interact with the application config database. The users only need to tell the modules what to do. And the integration points are well known. Each module knows uh, which modules it depends on, and it knows uh, what schema it can rely on being in place based upon that dependency information. You know, that's a lot of information, but really the story is that this is very, very data-driven, and that there is a rich schema for that data, and all the integration points are well-defined. Um, so that you can add modules that uh, participate in that configuration in a variety of ways. And then uh, at runtime, I'm sure the question comes, well, you know, that's great at configuration time when you're building up the definition of the application, but how do they operate at runtime? Well, modules can define in the configuration that certain lifecycle objects exist. So this comes back to Stuart Sierra's idea of uh, lifecycle objects that are part of a system. Uh, the configuration database actually contains information about what runnable lifecycle objects exist in the system. And of course, modules can define additional ones of those. So if I include my HTTP server, I could define it to start up an HTTP server that is, can be started and stopped. And then if I add a in-memory database module, that will, the module will handle defining um, you know, that uh, component that can be started and stopped. And so... Uh, you know, the, the application config is the sum of the inputs of all the modules uh, working together based upon the information they know about each other through the dependency tree to build together a single complete system. That sounds like a really powerful approach. Is that something that you've run into before? There are certainly echoes of it in uh, various other systems. Um, I hate to say it, but, you know, the old Java Spring library had certain elements of this. Um, unfortunately, the negatives of that approach far outweigh the positives. Um, we're definitely focusing on agility and um, 
introspectability and uh, self-documentation and clarity that Spring did not have. But there are certain elements of you know, defining a system through data uh, that are echoes of what have come before, certainly. We're not operating in a vacuum. That's interesting. I have to, I'll have to think on that idea some more. It seems like it should be far more universally applicable than um, you know, configuring a, an Arachne app. And that's the thing. You have to set your goals somewhere. Um, if this approach is wildly successful with web apps and Arachne, I could see the Arachne core configuration and module system being used elsewhere in other kinds of applications that have nothing to do with the web. But you know, goals one and two, the beginner experience and getting being able to rapidly get started um, with web apps and Clojure, um, this is what can enable that kind of experience. And so I think web apps are a great place to... Uh, get started with this kind of an approach. Yeah, I think you're right not to attempt to boil the ocean. It's it's going to come out better if you make it work for your situation and then go, okay, here's what we learned, <laughs> and, you know, specific to general. Um, so I had a question about, um, you know, you said that this is going to be an open source project. Is it is there is any of this out there now that people could go and take a look at it already, or is it not quite there uh, yet? If you define now is when you and I are talking, no. Um, but if you define now is when people will be listening to this podcast, then yes. Awesome. Um, it will be hosted on GitHub under the arachne-framework project. Just go there and check it out. Okay. Or um, arachne-framework.com is the homepage. Oh, you got the .com. I Very did. nice. <laughs> um, excellent. Um, so, okay, so we talked about, we, we talked a little bit about past, about present, about, about future. I guess I'd like to s- s- peer a little bit farther ahead. Like, so you're you are as successful as you want to be, right? Like everything that you hope for this project comes true. Um, a year from now, what what has happened? Like what is there a quantum shift, or is it just you know more uh, more evolutionary? Like what's what's true a year or whatever time frame you care to talk about from now, if you are able to do what you hope you can? Um, I would say my ideal goal for a year from now is that I am back to consulting. And every project is a month or two faster because I can get started immediately on any web component. I would also like to see uh, an influx of new uh, new people into the Clojure community. I think this um, web applications are where a lot of people want to start and where a lot of people expect to start when they encounter a new language. It gives something very tangible that you can work on and tangible and also very useful in our current climate. Everything's a web app. And um, so I'd like to see a lot of people um, that have not previously been heavily engaged with Clojure, seeing the value of that and um, kind of some start pouring in uh, to our community. Um, I know you're working with, uh, with Jamie Kite, as you said, um, and I know that she uh, has definitely been involved with Closure Bridge. Have you given any thought to, um, you know, whether Closure Bridge would... I mean, I know, look, the, the, a lot of people have spent a lot of time on the curriculum. From what I hear, it's really good. I haven't uh, taken the class myself or, yeah. or gone to... TA as I probably ought. Is there any thought or discussion around whether something like Arachne might not be um, helpful in the context of something like Closure Bridge? Yes, absolutely. I think it could be. Um, I haven't talked with the Closure Bridge folks yet, uh, even though I sit right next to one of them. I've been focused on getting Arachne set up. But the goals of Arachne and Closure Bridge are very much aligned um, in providing a safe space for beginners to learn but also learning good things and building powerful, interesting things uh, in a very intuitive, easy-to-get-started way. Uh, I could easily see Arachne becoming part of the Closure Bridge curriculum. And once we have something up and running, I will definitely be working with them and you know, participating in writing that bit of the, of the curriculum. So, you know, you've been at... Um... You've been at Cognitech and before that relevance for quite a while, just like me. And uh, one of the great um, practices that we have brought into, we didn't invent it, but one of the things that we bring to organizations that oftentimes haven't seen it before is the, is the risk assessment. Yes. Um, would you be willing to do a little risk assessment with me right now on Arachne? Absolutely, because I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> clearly it's a very risky project and I have very lofty goals. So You do have lofty goals. So what do you see as the major... Um, so a year from now, things didn't work out the way you, you wanted them to, right. um, and that was because of X. Right. So um, one, I'll just enumerate things and then the apparent, the severity uh, that they appear to me. So one is that people will not um, will not think that this is something worth having or a, a goal worth striving for in the closure space. I see this as a possibility, but fairly low risk um, based upon 
you know, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people uh, and a lot of people who I really respect and trust. And um, it's not just me that feels the absence of something like this quite keenly. Um, I think this is something that I regularly hear people um, ask for. If you search for closure web framework, you come up with like five to 10 uh, closed stack overflow questions because they're too subjective asking what's the best web framework for closure and all the answers along the lines of well, there isn't really one you kind of put one together from your libraries um, or you know there are some that will help you get started and um, I we probably should spend some time talking about the existing web frameworks for closure and, and how Arachne is different and why I think it'll have a little bit broader uptake than they do um, that's another question but I think demand exists um, that's actually another point of demand is that these new Web frameworks for closure keeps showing up, um, and I do have reasons to believe Ragni will be successful where they are not. Um, but I think there, there's just a lot of demand for it. Um, you know, another risk is that uh, it's a great thing to have, but it just can't be built to the level we want to build it, um, or I'm not the right guy to build it, perhaps. Um, and that's why I've assembled the team of advisors and the steering group that I have. I um, I have some level of confidence, my own ability, certainly. Um, I, I have a lot of experience in this domain. But um, I've tried to assemble the best people uh, to get on my side with this and to help give me advice. So that's why I'm mit mitigating that risk. So that, that is a real risk that it's what we want to build is just too hard. But um, I, I don't think that will, uh, that will come to pass simply because of you know, the team that I've assembled. Um, you know, other risks are that we build it and it's great, but not a lot of people use it. Um, and, you know, we're unable to get it up to the level of uptake that will allow it to really get the, um, you know, one of the big things about web frameworks is that they all have big communities that are very active. And if we can't get critical mass in the community behind it, uh, it's going to be difficult for it. Um, again, I, I don't think that'll happen. We're certainly going to mitigate that in any way we can by trying to build a very uh, welcoming community. Um, we are going to accept pull requests uh, via GitHub. Uh, we're going to try to make it easy for people to contribute. One of the main goals of the module system is so that people can build real meaningful things that are very easy to drop into an Arachne application and use um, without having to have any commit rights to the system or even submit any kind of patch or pull request. Um, people can just build things that participate in Arachne without anyone's permission. Um, and you know, we can get a thriving ecosystem of things going that way. So that's the goal for community building. Um, any one of these things we could fail to execute on, but uh, we're really trying to anticipate those points and account for them. And uh, if you can see any more points, uh, or you know, if you, the listener, you think of anything, please contact me. We want to head any of things, those things off early if we possibly can. Well, I think that's a good segue, actually, to talking about the existing frameworks. You mentioned that, because I, mean, uh, I think one of the risks is... Um, you know, simply discoverability, right? right? Like there's this this whole, there's maybe two that I can think of that you didn't mention. That would be one, you know, being able to, it's awesome and the people that try it love it, but people can't find it for the, they can't find the, the tree for the forest, if you right. will. Um, and then another one that's sort of related is this tendency of uh, closure framework to disintegrate into libraries, right? right? I mean, you look at Noir, right? That was a framework and it, and it turned into... Um, turned into libraries, and I think there's other examples we could think of as well. Right. Uh, so I wonder if those are have been on your radar at all. And and actually, also, please use that as a framework, uh, as a framework, a um, platform for talking a bit about the existing uh, frameworks and how you see Arachne relating to them. Right. So the existing frameworks um, largely fall into, actually, they don't fall into two categories. All of them are collections of libraries that the authors of these frameworks have assembled. They've built some glue code to pull these libraries together and then blessed and said, this is a set of libraries that you should use together. And um, we have a Linegan template or something that will let you get started and to make it easy to do so. Uh, unfortunately, what none of these frameworks have really accounted for is being able to swap out those components without sewing up the seams with more coding. Uh, none of them have the experience that you have in some other web frameworks of simply dropping in new functionality and then start using it. Um, most of them, like, you know, say a library chooses Hiccup as its HTML templating system. Well, if you want to use anything except for Hiccup, you got to go remove the Hiccup library, replace all of the Hiccup templates, um, add in uh, a, new, a new library, say in Live, and um, add in the code to call the InLive handlers and... Uh, you know, merge the data from whatever data system you're using uh, 
um, and render that to a string and serve it up to the user. And so, you know, th those are all coding activities. So in essence, to modify any of the existing frameworks, if, if any of the frameworks has anything that you don't like, it becomes a coding activity to change that. And with Arachne, we're really uh, aiming to build certain interfaces via this configuration system so that you can provide drop-in handlers. We're going to have an explicit asset pipeline that is um, fully codified in data. So, you know, a number of transform functions that things can go through and rules for routing assets through the transform functions. So, you know, we haven't designed this uh, part in great detail yet um, with specific respect to HTML templating, but uh, in Arachne, the system for, you know, building a, a HTTP module would simply be to drop in the hiccup or drop in the inLive module and have some way of detecting um, which or where in live templates were, and it would transact that to your um, asset management chain, and everything would start working. You could start writing in live templates. You could tell it which closure files contain templates. Um, there'd be a defined uh, format for how your data was, um, probably some simple map or record-based format, and it could just plug in and go. So being very conscious from the very beginning that we're not sewing things together with code, we're sewing things together with data and with well-known data schemas that the different components can code against. And that really is a core differentiator between Arachne and these other frameworks is um, we're incorporating a bunch of libraries, but the interfaces are all data interfaces, not code interfaces. And we're designing it from the ground up to be useful on a variety of platforms. So one of the great um, you know, as of this point, one of the most mature, um, most useful closure web frameworks is Immutant. But Immutant is unashamedly tied to the JBoss stack. And if you're on the JBoss stack and you want to do things in a JBoss way, Immutant is amazing. You should absolutely go use it. But if you don't want to use JBoss, well, Immutant probably isn't the tool for you because you'd have to do a lot of recoding to get it to work um, meaningfully on other types of platforms. Uh, and you diminish the utility of that. Uh, and Arachne's goal is to, you know, provide modules if you do want to deploy on JBoss to you know, pop in there and, and have it work. We might actually build a immutant modules to bridge uh, that functionality, but uh, you know, to work on a variety of platforms and allow individuals to publish the adapters and the unique things um, themselves, and not require any change of code or modification to the co uh, the core platform to do so. Uh, the other change is why I'm writing the Kickstarter. Most of the Closure Web Frameworks, if you simply Google that phrase, Closure Web Framework, are clearly people's uh, part-time projects. And I have nothing against part-time projects. I've run very, very many of them myself. But I think for something of this magnitude, we really need to uh, get started with some full-time effort. And that's where the Kickstarter comes in. And you're looking for both individuals to help out, but also um, you're open to corporate sponsorship as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I encourage you to go look at that Kickstarter page. It'll tell you all the ways in which you can uh, you can help out if that sounds like something interesting to you. And we will definitely link to that in the show notes. But I think you said it's going to be arachne-framework.com. So people can check that out. Well, cool. Well, you know, um, this is very exciting, Luke. Uh, I mean, quite a vision. Um, and I think uh, it's funny, actually. We've been recording the 100th episode of the podcast uh, for the last several weeks, we've been going around and talking to everybody, and I, I spoke with you earlier, and, and I have been asking people a series of questions. This episode will come out after that one, so I'm not giving it any way <laughs> here. Um, but, you know, the one of the questions has been, you know, give advice. And I think, uh, you know, like, it's actually the same question we use at the end of every one of our um, other episodes as well. And I've been asking everybody that one, and a couple times people have said words to the effect of, um, you know, don't be afraid to tackle a big problem. <laughs> Um, and, and obviously you've taken that to, to heart. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think there are lots of people in this community and by this community, I mean, closure in general, I mean, um, you know, uh, Cognitex, uh, in specifically perhaps who have successfully tackled big problems. You know, I think about things, all sorts of things really. Um, and it would be really, really great if, if, uh, if you achieve what you're setting out to achieve. And I have every reason to believe that um, if anyone can do it, it's the set of people you've named. So right. um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, uh, anyway, all of which is kind of which to say uh, that's a great summary. Um, we, we do have some time left if you have anything else that you think is important to talk about at this stage. I mean, I think clearly this is an ongoing project. I, I think it'll make sense to have you back on again um, at some point in the future to talk more about how the project is going and has gone. Um, yeah. But, 
you know, here at the beginning, if there's anything else you think we should cover to let people know how you're taking off from here, we can do that. Um, was there anything else you think we should talk about today? Um, you know, I think we covered it. I'm just looking over my outline of uh, talking points for it. I think the only one we really didn't hit on um, at length, and you know, I kind of wish I talked about this earlier up front before people um, had a chance to get bored with me rambling on about tech, <laughs> um, is that Arachne really is a project about people. Um, it, you know, software is great and it's really important to have solid algorithms and rigorous design, but ultimately software is written by people and it's written for people. Um, and Arachne is a great, you know, is squarely in the middle of that. It's a tool that we human developers are going to use to write applications. And the people that are going to use those web applications are other humans. Um, and this is really kind of a driving philosophy for us. Um, more so than, for example, like a language or databases that, you know, technical rigor needs to be the important thing there. Um, we, we are going to be technically rigorous, but we also really care about usability. We care about design. We care about experience. Um, I'm not saying you have to have fun using Arachne, um, but it should be something that doesn't frustrate you. It should leave you feeling happy with what you accomplished uh, when you're done using it. Um, it means that Everything it produces should be uh, attractive or useful by default. Um, you know, we're going to do our best to work with designers to make the experience of building beautiful things easy. Um, it means that we're really going to try to care about uh, user experience as a first-class concern. And that's something that, um, you know, certainly I can't fault the Clojure community for um, producing what they have. I love closure. I love the community. I love most things that have been produced. But I think there's also room for um, a little bit of a human element. And I think a, a web application framework is the perfect place for that because it is so focused on building something that people use and engage with. Um, and that is really a core value of Arachne. Um, it's something I'm very passionate about personally. So um, in addition to all that cool tech stuff, um, we, we really do want this to be a project about people. Well, our listeners are probably bored by this time of hearing me say software is about people, but obviously um, I've said it before and I clearly agree with you, so I'm thrilled to hear you say it as well. I'm not surprised, of course, I know you, but uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I think that's that's going to be I, – I, I certainly would bet on that being one of the key um, elements of your eventual success, so it's, it's cool to hear you say that. Great. Awesome. Well, anything else, dude? Uh, not that I can think of right now. I mean, both yes, there is innumerable things to talk about, but you know, of course, uh, nothing that I think makes sense to try to tackle now. Uh, I do look to talking, look forward to talking with you in the future about this stuff. And um, if any of you listeners has any questions about this stuff, um, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Um, check out the website. Check out the Kickstarter campaign. Um, contact me. Email me. Um, I want. I want to build support for this, and I want to convince you uh, that it's going to be awesome if you don't already believe that. So, um, you know, and I want to know how I can make it better. So, I, I want to talk with you. Very cool. People should definitely do that. Luke's a really nice guy, everybody. He'd be happy to talk with you. He's a very, very nice guy. You'll enjoy the conversation as I have. Um, but we are here at the end of the conversation, and that means it's time for our final question. Our final question is, as always, to ask you, Luke, to provide us with a piece of advice. Uh, and the way I've been putting this lately is, uh, I actually mentioned that we've been asking everybody this, so I've had a chance to ask the question a lot recently. And I've, uh, as you know, we always say it can be advice that you've been given, or that you like to give, or maybe even that you've overheard. And I, I've also added the the caveat that, uh, uh, well, that's not a caveat, but the the extra <laughs> uh, point that while we usually assume people are going to hand out good advice, you're also perfectly free to hand out bad advice. <laughs> it's your call. Anything that you want to give to our listeners in the form of advice would be welcome at this point. Um, am I allowed to say that you should all go donate to my Kickstarter campaign? Does that constitute advice? <laughs> I think you just did. And absolutely, everyone, I'll say it. You know, you, you're a modest guy, but I'll say it. Everyone should go uh, donate to Luke's Kickstarter campaign. I certainly am going to. Awesome. I appreciate that, Greg. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, Luke, well, thanks again so much for coming on today and taking the time to talk to us. We're all, I think I feel pretty safe in saying that uh, we're all very, very excited to see you tackle this project and uh, looking for with great pleasure to seeing how it evolves and, and that we all have a lot of confidence in, in your ability to, um, to lead the project and to tackle these problems, some of which are very difficult, but which, uh, but which are important. So uh, thanks both for taking it on and for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Well, thank you, Craig. I really enjoyed talking to you. Appreciate it. 
right, likewise. And we will also thank our audience for listening. This has been the Cognicast. You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech, Inc. Cognitech are the makers of Datomic, and we provide consulting services around it, closure, and a host of other technologies to businesses ranging from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash podcast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest today was Luke Vanderhart on Twitter at L-E Vanderhart, L-E-V-A-N-D-E-R-H-A-R-T. The Kickstarter that we discussed today is, as of this recording, already funded at more than $25,000 of Luke's $35,000 goal with about a week remaining. So really within striking distance, head over to arachneframework.org. Arachne is A-R-A-C-H-N-E, and then hyphen framework.org, to read more about the project and, even better, to pledge your support. Episode cover art for the Cognicast is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson and Damian Mack. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.